the Diary of a CTO podcast. Sharing the secrets of successful CTOs. Brought to you by Trimor, the home of technology recruitment. Hosted by Guy Bevington. Cool, so Fabrizio, welcome. Thank Thanks you. for coming. Cheers. Good to see you. <laughs> Cheers. Um, so I've been really looking forward to today, I must admit, as, uh, as, as an episode goes. Um, you are, by way of introduction, you are the uh, chief of engineering for 90% of everything. Correct. And that business is uh, it's a very innovative tech um, firm building solutions for the uh, maritime shipping and logistics sectors, um, hence where... 90% of everything came from as a, as a name, I understand it, because 90% of everything is, is shipped via, via the sea, which I found very interesting the uh, first time I heard that. Um, so, yeah, so since starting, um, you know, the business started in 2017, uh, we've scaled now to over 120 engineers. Um, you've got seven products live across 50 uh, divisions. Um, and these are really impressive numbers. You know, I, I see a lot of companies in, in the market day in, day out, you know, a lot of startup, scale-up companies, and, and there's not many that have achieved what, what you guys have achieved in, in the time that you've done it. So really, really impressive. Um, and I think not only is it impressive the numbers that you've got to, but the, the way in which you've scaled the team as well and scaled the business, um, sort of how you've structured those, those divisions. Um, I think, you know, from our first chat, I found really, really interesting. So would love to unpack that a little bit more and, and pick your brains today. Um, but I guess before we do that, um, let's talk about you. Uh, it'd be lovely to hear a little bit more about you as, uh, you know, your background and uh, your career to date. And, and I guess, you know, a little bit about your, uh, your journey through uh, tech leadership, if you would be so kind. Of course. Well, um, I'm Italian originally, so I actually, all my career work in London. So I came after university and um, the main reason to come was to get uh, uh, in offline business. So I studied that for my master, how to have a business success, successful business online. Mm -hmm. And that is something that in Italy was not existing in 2008. So came here straight out of uni. I've, since then, I've been at the, working in tech at different levels and different size of companies. The largest, for sure, is uh, the company where I'm working now. So we have roughly 200 people, so just short of 200 people at this moment. One, around 130 are in the engineer division, and that's by far the largest I've been working on. Yeah. It's been a very exciting journey, and we... As heads down uh, for five years, heads down working and building, and we, we had built a lot actually. So that's uh, not just that, that's not just me, obviously, but it's all the people involved that we we achieve we achieve a lot. And uh, good news is now the businesses start to find finally the first uh, uh, success in the commercial area, which is uh, difficult provided the maritime space is an old time industry where technologies seen by skepticism and uh, the purchases are big digital transformations which uh, are not are not an easy sale and yeah. when you sell is very lengthy process convert into a successful installation on, on the platform okay fantastic well that all sounds very very interesting indeed and i'd love to hear a little bit more about the particular sector and industry i guess because i'm sure there's some real specific challenges that you you face in the 
in the maritime and shipping industry. Um, so before we get into that, it'd be great to just understand a little bit more about you as a tech leader, I suppose, you know, to kind of be in control of, a, you know, or, or looking after a, um, a squad of 120 engineers. That must be, uh, you know, <laughs> must have to have your Weetabix in the morning. Um, but what, um, what do you feel are the greatest qualities, the most valuable attributes to have as a, a tech leader? Do you think there's anything that's been quite, um, you know, attribute to your success? I think one of the one of the gifts that uh, all this experience gave me is see different things, uh, different uh, industries. So I worked uh, for Time Out at some part, certain point, so into magazine and tourism. I worked into uh, a company called Power Now, which uh, at some point was all over the tube with a very fancy advertising in tele- uh, telecom conferencing. Then I worked in recruitment with a very small firm called Brave, uh, Brave New Talent. After that, I jumped into mobile. So um, we, um, I was, I think, the f- oh, if not the first, the second engineer in a company called Bisbee. So we did uh, um, gigs, basically, in the gig economy, uh, like cleaners and handymen on demand in uh, uh, London and UK. So that is really also one of one of things that I, 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 can, I can recall whenever there is a... Um, something in my career that I, I, I look back that's that's a gift to be involved in so many industries and and just just in let's say just in 10 years and that is uh, that is what you have to you need to have that exposure to technology to make certain decisions um, sometimes it's, it's a matter of be able to listen be able to listen to people that know more about you not uh, not have arrogance to say I know everything and uh, this is the way, and when you are for a few years in this industry, you realize there's no right or wrong, whatever it is. It might be the right today, or it might be the right for the budget or for the knowledge that you have or for constraint. For example, if you are in AWS, you you can't use solution available in Azure or something like that. But the experience uh, that you really, in my opinion, the, the, the one of the skills that really helps me all the time is that I I'm able to to listen to people around me, not making assumptions that I know best, mm. even when that that seems like suggested by people that either people organize the meeting or people that ask my opinion, will say, well, you you have you have done this before. Tell this guy that. It's never like that, never. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you really need to contextualize things and understanding what is the problem at hand and uh, have, have be humble and recognize that most probably the code that is built this year will be thrown away next year, and that is technology. And it was true when I started and is truer and truer every, every year that passes because the technology moves so fast, arrogance doesn't pay off. It, mm. it really doesn't, so... Mm. Just just because just because something is the best thing this year doesn't mean that it will stay like that. Yeah, and we yeah. we have many examples of this actually. Yeah, I can imagine. I think that's, that's a there's lots of fantastic points there. But yeah, certainly through, you know, my uh, 15 years of of you know recruiting for tech professionals, I've obviously spoken to a lot of people, a lot of fantastic engineers, you know, and and I guess there is this stigma, stereotype, call it whatever you want sometimes of, of the big ego getting in the way of, you know, very good engineers that actually incredible coders, but for whatever reason, their ego often doesn't gel with the rest of the team. And, um, you know, I think there's people that I've 
seen go on and be very successful are the ones that, you know, they are very pragmatic and they get that, you know, yes, they're excellent at what they do, but it's actually a, a team sport. You know, it's a team team effort as well. Um, Absolutely. So. If Yes, the... If you have a team, yes. So most of the people that I met through my career are actually individuals that have other individual company or contractors, and uh, they work in many, many different projects, and sometimes they don't experience the work in a team. However, uh, if you do have a team and if you if the company you work on has a budget to our team, that team working is, uh, is, is really the first thing because... Technology can be taught. Uh, we we change our um, our recruitment tests based on this on this fact. We, we used to we used to do interviews uh, that were almost quiz, and we completely stopped because we realized that if you know some if you don't know something, uh, you can learn. If you're good, you can learn that. Yeah. If it's more enough, even in an afternoon, by by reading documentation. So it doesn't matter if we ask this question. We should actually ask about problem that you solved show me tell me the biggest challenges or the big success same same thing really in the engineering mind of your career tell me how you solved this and what you learned from that okay for leadership position what we ask is tell me the, tell me an experience where things went wrong with a colleague and how did you fix it or how you didn't mm. yeah and usually that is a very good indication by letting the candidate speak of either they have done it or they're making up. Yeah. And usually when, when we have a feeling that thing, people are making up things, we, we, don't, we know between ourselves, we just, we just cut it short on the next occasion because yeah. the, the most important thing is, is honesty. Yeah, yeah, great point. Um, we did a, a roundtable, CTA roundtable a couple of weeks ago and we were talking about, you know, that, that balance between hiring for skills versus hiring for attitude. And like you've just said, you know, the tech world evolves at such a pace, you know, it's literally exponentially evolving that you there is no way now that you can become a, a, a master in all of these different tools and technologies out there you know so if you get asked a, a potluck question in an interview on something you haven't worked on doesn't mean you're not a great engineer or, or, or let's say you haven't got the aptitude to pick it up um so yeah that's really refreshing to hear that and i think it, um you know really interested to delve down a little bit deeper into that actually because i guess having scaled to 120 engineers clearly you must have a pretty slick but robust recruitment process in terms of you know, how you assess talent and bring them into the into the business so talk us through a little bit more about you know what does that recruitment process look like for you yeah before before touching that first of all you really need to have a, um, a good budget and you need to have good colleagues uh, and not just on uh, um, interviewer side the tech side but especially in-house recruiter or recruiter um, um, partnership with people that you really trust so that is very important mm. and then for us specifically we had an amazing CEO and uh, HR which do a lot of screening calls for uh, technology and that was one 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 reason of, of success the second part is the um, the mandate from CEO to do act to to implement the structure to implement the plan because will fail if you don't have that doesn't matter how great is your plan but if your plan of hiring is disaligned with the um, leadership team the ceo especially yeah. you're not going to succeed so that i can't stress enough it's very important 
whatever whatever as a CTO or as a hiring manager you have in mind, if you don't have the the backing up of your leadership team and CEO, it's not gonna it's not gonna happen. Mm. Yeah, it's as simple as that. So secure that your plan is sensible and if just compromise with what the CEO has in mind as well. For us, was at some a certain point was a was a matter of uh, uh, recognizing that. A company structuring a team for back end, a team for front end was not going to work at the scale the CEO wanted. Right. It's just that we didn't realize that yet. So we changed completely strategy. We we put in place a structure that was divided almost like Spotify. So it was divided in, a, let's call it division. We, we call them streams. So now the, the structure put together four years ago still, still stands. Okay. So we put together streams. And ahead of the streams, we put head of product stream and the technical owner. And we imagine this as a, uh, an incubator. So basically, we give power to head of product stream as a vice CEO and, or, or vice CPO and um, tech owner as um, a vice CTO. So they actually are responsible for whatever happened in the stream. Okay. In the stream, typically, we have uh, two or four teams. Four teams is an extreme. We, we are we're not quite happy with that, but two and three team works well. So for one person and, and our team are not larger than uh, uh, six, uh, six core individuals uh, because we have shared resources such as Scrum Masters and QAs. QAs in the plan were shared. Now, now we have enough to actually have one per team. But the, the core team is made by one team leader which um, uh, is, is always um, uh, technical, the team leader. So we made, we made the choice to have um, um, management uh, through experience and management through um, credibility, not management through uh, just people management. We made the choice about that. And uh, two backenders, two frontenders constitute the, the classic team. We have, we have exceptions. So we, for example, we have one team specialist on mobile. We have another team on big data and they don't follow this, but let's say 12 out of uh, 14 or 15 teams that might be now, they, they, are, they are in this shape. So that's the first thing I would say. Just have a plan, put the, write, the, write down the plan without names and explain that there is, there, is a, um, there is a coherent plan for the hiring. That's the most important thing. Yeah. And then you really need to have... Uh, um, uh, and this is planning. So execution, you need to have a, another set of planning, which is about the process. You need to have a process that doesn't, that, that it's commensurated to the industry. So the industry you are in, for example, if you are, if you are hiring only in London, you know that certain things don't apply. We, we actually are very lucky because we have a remit to hire all over the world as long as it's two hours away from London. So... And we did a stretch for Brazil, which is minus three. Okay. So uh, GMT minus three for Brazil is okay. We have 10 guys in Brazil. And we go to Ukraine, which is plus two. Ukraine, Greece, and Bulgaria, which is plus two. Okay. We also have two engineers in Mozambique, which are part of a, a partnership to grow uh, young talent in Africa. Cool. But that those are the those are the, the boundaries for longitude-wise. So Still in Bulgaria. <laughs> yeah, it's, and that is amazing. But... That was conscious decision. Didn't happen by mistake. So if, and, uh, and again, goes in the plan. So you need to know 
uh, why I say this? Because so the the steps of the interview they can't be too many, but they can be too few, yeah. and they must be right and they must be fair. Totally agree. And they must be written down because you want not to have a bus factor. You don't want to be the person as a CTO in charge of the hiring. Well, if you have a small company, five people, you will be. You have to be. But if you are actually a mid-size or or business of over 50 people, you need to delegate. That's yeah. that's a key word. And to delegate with uh, um, without confusion, you need to have a, a plan written down and what is the first process and what is the goal, yeah. then what's happened. And you need to tell the candidate at any phase because the candidate is interviewing you. You're not interviewing the candidate, especially in this day and age, there are more jobs than candidates for, mm. for, for, for tech, let's say. And that's something that I keep on stressing with all interviews. Make sure that you have to be polite at all the time. You have to be clear. So before the interview states, uh, for example, the final interview, we always state, this is going to work like this. We have a break in the middle. We go away and we take the, um, and we, uh, we understand where to do, where to go for the next questions. So we have a break and we, we do, and then, then use your questions for us. So people know that there is something for them yeah. later. They don't they don't interrupt and and then the other thing is we we we, we always say is your time to talk. So we will not answer wrong question with uh, wrong answers with, with because we just have one hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. you have to talk. Yeah, you have yeah. to demonstrate to us. We we're not gonna spend time correcting you. Unfortunately, this is not the time. Yeah, yeah. We're just going to which is fair. I think you know and people will kind of get that. You know, uh, I think the fact you. I'm not really surprised that you've achieved the numbers you have achieved because just listening to your thought process there, you know, when I think about a, a lot of very good companies that we've worked with that have achieved real scale, you know, they've gone from that kind of startup scale up phase, you know, they have really put a lot of thought and effort into their process. Um, and it sounds like you guys have done exactly that, you know, yeah, they're not, they're not, not winging it. It's a real methodical process. And I think the key word you used actually, which I totally agree with is alignment. You know, I think the companies that really go on and achieve the, the kind of, I guess, cultural success, but, you know, ultimately, from a recruitment point of view, the, the numbers that they want to are those where the leadership of the business, like, say, CA downwards, everybody's fully aligned and, you know, you haven't got this uh, continual battle where, you know, as a, a chief of engineering, you're constantly going back to the CEO or kind of just get one extra headcount or one extra budget for this or this kind of, you know, the green light, um, you know, and once you've got that, everyone can sort of, funnel into the right direction to make the process as streamlined as possible and um yeah i really like the way that you, you talk about transparency throughout the process as well and and how you know i mean at the moment obviously it's quite a um a candidate rich market because obviously we've entered into unfortunately a, you know, quite a a difficult time with a lot of redundancies being made so it's it's a little bit more of a buyer's market but i, I really like the respect that you're talking about between you know this isn't um uh, you know the candidate trying to impress you i mean obviously it is but it's it's a two-way street as well right it's that mutual respect between um, between candidates and and you as a business and and the, the last point i'll make that I, I really like there is around the the thoughts around the stages of the process and not too few but not too many and i think that's where a lot of companies go really really wrong you know either end of the spectrum is just as dangerous you know companies that make candidates jump through seven or eight hoops before they make them an offer by that point, that candidate's long gone to a company with a slicker process. But in the same breath, companies that have too fewer stages, I think, is also very dangerous because, you know, psychologically, candidates, are, the, the better candidates anyway, I feel they do really need that time to 
to grow, to understand the opportunity and get emotionally engaged with the business as well. And Absolutely. You, you can't do that within a half an hour telephone chat and, and offer. Um, so I really like the, the way you kind of uh, talk about that. And um, yeah, I think that's very, very sensible. It's an investment for the company in terms of uh, cost and uh, time. Yeah. So the, the last thing that we want is people to don't know what they get into. So we really spend a lot to explain which situation is the business. For example, we are in B2B business. We try to sell software to an industry that sometimes the customer, the majority of the software they see is an Excel spreadsheet where they have uh, all, the, all the information about their fleet and their, their operations. So it's quite difficult. So we need a very high level of quality comes to software. So we are not a startup where you can throw out and see what stick kind of mentality. Yeah. We, we make sure that people know that very early on in the interview stage so they don't, they don't expect, for example, the test, they put a, they put a specific emphasis of uh, documentation and uh, explaining what they're doing. And we, we actually, uh, we have a problem with that because no matter how many times you write down or we communicate, it doesn't matter that you, you complete the test. What matters is that if you, if you decide which function you want to write, just do it properly, as, yeah. as properly as you would think. Don't spend the day doing the test. We don't want that. Just spend yeah. two hours yeah. and give the best shot to the thing that you want to show us. Yeah. And it's it's remarkable that actually it's very difficult, especially for certain cultures, very difficult just, just to stop at two hours. Yeah. Just carry on and they do, yeah. they do everything. Then yeah. we say, we see the opposite. We say, yeah. okay, well, now we have to pick. Well, now we can pick more things to, to, to tell you we... That is really not uh, efficient the way you're doing this, or mm. not manageable at lo long term. The function that you write in this, in, you didn't do any documentation. How can we maintain this? So we, we are not really a bit to see startup that just just try to uh, you know uh, move fast and break things. We yeah. are the opposite for four reasons. We are the opposite. Yeah. It's important they kind of know know before because otherwise we invested a lot of time in recruitment, or maybe we even hire and then few weeks in the job but there's a realization that hurts uh, both parties yeah absolutely absolutely yeah it's uh, i think the, the the most sensible approach is now around those tech exercises of those like you say where you, you you're testing you're testing their approach what's what's their real world yeah, way the, of working the other the other suggestion i have for all all my all my friends that some now i i, I advise in uh, unofficially a few people and the the, the biggest advice that's they they seem not to have fought themselves uh, that I give to everybody is to uh, have a test. No matter how simple it is, but have one. And it, it's really, it's, I can't stress how important it is when you're here to have a test. Even, so if you're big, even more so, because you, you are, the test is the, the one thing that is written down and shared on GitHub most probably, and ensure that they're not biased within, uh, between the different candidates. That's one of the very few actually factual non-biased thing that you can have in interview process. Mm -hmm. So just just do that, have that. But then it, it's so uh, it's so easy to to skip this and thinking, oh, I met somebody great. Doesn't need to be tested. That's a mistake. And I've done I've done a couple of times this mistake. I've done a couple of times uh, uh, a skip test that resulted in an amazing hire. However, I would advise never do that because. You, just lose uh, a, a safety net. Mm. You just cut your own net and yeah. 
the, the candidate express so much of themselves during the test, even even though that we have a lot of people say, I don't know how to do this, but I will search and do this. And you you have an opportunity to ask questions about implementation, say, why did you do this? Did you really do this? Or sometimes we ask, did you do this yourself? Because it seems not to be able to back up your decisions. <laughs> yeah. That happens sometimes, not in the minority case. But having a test will is actually giving you a tool to discover these kind of things. So just one one advice, that if, if, if anything, uh, one advice should be taken off from this. Don't, don't drop the, the test. Uh, even if it's very simple, just just have one. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think, like I say, psychologically as well, it does work the other way. You know, we had a, an instance quite recently with a, a very, very good senior engineer and uh, one of our health tech clients who really loved the candidate. You know, they did a half an hour interview with the candidate. They were absolutely sold. And genuinely was a very good candidate. Um, and then the, the, the final, the second stage interview was almost sort of the the same stage again because the the manager was so reassured by the ability of the candidate they felt that they didn't need to do that technical test and then um you know made an offer and a pretty generous offer to the candidate as well and so we presented the offer to the candidate and the candidate kind of came back and said look i really like the like the person i met and i like the company what it does sort of really altruistic kind of business um the thing that's really put me off is that they haven't even seen a line of my code and he was the one that turned them down because he felt that you know, if they're not even testing my code at all, then, you know, who are the other people they're hiring? And, yeah. you know, he obviously yep. backed himself and, you know, knew he was a good, good engineer, but but it does work. It does work both that's, ways. That's a very good point. The um, plans into rotation, which is another key insight that, uh, if anything, I can give to people listening. Don't underestimate uh, how it's important to retain the right people because the candidate outside your company and the talent inside your company, they want all to work with the best. Mm. They might have different opinion of the best, but anybody agree, would they need, they want to work with somebody nice to work with. That's, that's, yeah. I never find anybody that I, I likes to work with, with people, that. people that uh, keep on picking fights. That, that's <laughs> never been the case. Yeah. So it's very important, but to show, uh, you, you must show candidates uh, um, your best, uh, uh, your best code inside before you you uh, you interview them. So having the test show them, oh, okay, they they actually spent time to put together this, and uh, if the test is good, they can feel oh, this is better than the test the other company is asking me. So maybe they, they yeah. there are more 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 people more experienced people working in that, and that is really the the only the, the first uh, the first contact that you might have with a candidate as as a as a, as a tech hiring engineer. Yeah. So it's very important that you put down put down the best effort to write a good test, and you show you also show what you want because if you if your test is all quiz, then it's clear that your company doesn't have challenging enough pros, uh, problems, and you you need you need engineer for either bug fixing or business as usual or the things that you ask in the quiz, which uh, I doubt, but just. Put, puts a little bit of effort to do something. For example, our tests are for our domain, Martin domain. So, so it's it's a little bit aligned with the uh, with the narrative that uh, we want people to to join us to um, to work on software that touches real things uh, rather than e-commerce. So that is yeah. so it's all aligned to the narrative, but it shows that actually there are 
interesting problems to, to solve inside it. And in a couple of times, actually, I wrote down a test that is actually the very same problems that we have in the company. All right, okay. So, in fact, we did it for... Uh, Recently, we are uh, data engineers. Uh, and we did exactly that. And I spell out the problem we had and see which architecture they proposed. Yeah, well, I guess that's a, a really nice bit of instant feedback as to, uh, you know, how they can understand an issue and understand a problem and what they're going to be doing in real life, isn't it? I guess it's quite a nice two-way street as well for them to see the kind of problems they're going to be working on. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, fantastic. Okay, great. Well, I mean, I don't want to make the whole episode about recruitment. And obviously, I'm sure you and I could speak about this for hours, given uh, given my uh, background as well. But um, let's let's talk a little bit more about you as a leader. And I really I love this whole approach. It seems really innovative and really creative around, you know, geographical freedom. Well, I say freedom, but obviously within that time zone, which is clearly a huge amount of, um, you know, quality talent that you've got access to um i love the kind of taking that sort of spotify model of having these streams i think it's uh well, clearly clearly working to get this this kind of level of you know 120 engineers is there anything else that you would say as a uh you know successful chief of engineering do you employ any particular strategies methodologies anything that you would say creates uh, a high performing engineering division Yes, um, I'm not sure about. Uh, so it, it's it's complex. If you have if you have our size with 14 teams, uh, you you simply cannot uh, have uh, uh, the high performance that you might achieve from a small uh, a small team of uh, three people, which is, for example, is a friend of mine company. They're super performant in a week. They do much much more than we can do, but uh, this is a different playground. One of the principles that we employ as a company is uh, delegation and trust. So we really, we really delegate everything. I, I as a chief engineer, very rarely participate into into stand-ups, for example. Okay. I, I do lead uh, one project that is, uh, is a newborn project in in uh, big data, which is something that we we haven't we haven't done for for the first four years, and now is the year to start that. Apart from that, I really uh, delegate a lot. So does my uh, my colleague, uh, chief architect and uh, chief product owner. We we uh, by structure of delegation, we can we can achieve a lot, and we we fully trust. And then we have uh, each team with a team leader, which is again completely person a person of trust and a person of experience. So we want uh, not just. Uh, architect or a person that has good personal skills in their job but we want somebody that uh, gets his hands dirty and her, her hands dirty so that's very uh, very important um, the other thing is technology so um, I think well, my personal experience I, I got to I got to know the microservices approach Probably, most probably in this company. Truly, I heard about that in the in the, in the company before, but uh, has been too uh, constant, too new. I think my personally, my my, my personal, um, I think there was a company in London called Halo Cab, and then eventually got dissolved. But we at BSB, we we were lucky to have one of the uh, main engineer that joined us, and he was the first that introduced concept of of microservices there. And we didn't really know what what it was. We thought we were doing Microsoft, but then it showed clearly we were not. And uh, it uh, it it is such a revolution in the way that you build teams uh, because 
you give uh, something that was impossible uh, uh, before. And I, I, for myself, but I think for the industry, let's say 2017. Before 2017, I think either was only few knew how to do this and did properly, or that, well, the, the common pattern was not to not to use Docker, not to use, do microservices. That that I think is it's a very a big statement, but I think it's it's true. You after more and more people are using this technology, and the structure really benefits because you you are cutting. Uh, it's it's simple to cut. It's simple to partition a company in two teams. It's much more difficult to partition the software in two different domains mm. if you haven't thought about that initially yeah. you might find that uh, the software responsible to send the invoice uh, is inside the software responsible to give recommendation about product mm. and uh, okay that's fine you're you, obviously you you wanted to hit the market you did some certain decision to have uh, everything uh, contained maybe one developer band that's fine but now you're going to separate this because otherwise you, you can't scale you can't evolve you you will have troubles to you will have uh one serve you m one service might fail and take down two system of yours so you have all sort of problems that will uh, slow you down and will stop you to make different teams 90 percent of everything with um, we call 90 periods as internal but we had um we were very lucky to start from zero so it was a uh, complete greenfield which was uh, was one of the uh, one of the main reason attracted me initially it was greenfield it was a, a very ambitious project a multiple multi-year project already planned out from uh, from the founders and the investment and we 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 knew that uh, results were expected quite soon uh, in, in matter of a couple of years uh, the investor wanted to see results but at the same time we knew uh, because of our experience that the size of scale that they were talking could not have survived by having a monolith or, or two monolith of, doesn't matter yeah. now we have 400 microservices more or less and that is actually it, it, when sometimes we talk internally in the leadership team as uh, oh we have we have one of those now we have one of those we meant uh, we have uh, a product that spans multiple teams and multiple domains how we do that and it's it's funny how uh, people that didn't uh, work enough, or even business or even product that didn't didn't work enough in monoliths, they don't know that the opposite is the problem. Mm. Having having all so tangled together that you can't even change a button on the home page because you're 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 fearful that you will touch something else. That is yeah. that is really the problem. Not yeah. not the problem having having microservices. So you need to you need to be careful not to abuse it. Obviously, if your if your goal as as a, as a business and and uh, the tech direction is getting something in the market as soon as possible to prove the market, if don't do microservices start because you will pay the you will you you might pay the knowledge gap in terms of time. You might pay the recruitment gap because you might need to hire a DevOps before you need really. You might um, delay for some reason because you have uh, you haven't understood how to configure the, the internal ports between two services and why would and try good luck explain that to your investor that wants a product out in a week. That's <laughs> yeah. that's not going to work. However, if you have a plan of, uh, um, but certainly if you have a plan to have a B two B system where you're going to have. Uh, 
contractual problem if something fails or you can't afford to take down one system and keep out another. If you, so basically you structure something to survive uh, over multiple years and or you're replacing something that the industry exists so you know the industry is mature to spend money on that kind of problem. I'd say just plan correctly the division of domains and plan correctly not to have uh, services attaching to domains just just completely divide because this choice will pay off very soon mm. fantastic i mean it feels like listening to you talk about United center of everything it's kind of i don't want to say you know it was never destined to to fail but it's there's so many great things about the the, the business so far and what you've achieved and it, you know, it feels like having the right people on board the right talent obviously people like yourself clearly very, uh, you know, a huge amount of expertise, you know, a really exciting proposition. And I guess, like I said, a greenfield project. So that's obviously music to a lot of uh, good engineers ears, isn't it? That's, that's what they want to hear. So that's probably a big, a big, um, you know, carrot to dangle for any great talents come on board as well. Um, I appreciate not necessarily greenfield now, but it must have helped probably in, in the early stages. And then, um, like I say, just that, that sort of plan, I suppose, from the, from the founders of the business, the, the alignment for everybody within it, it's sort of a, a perfect storm really of all the different ingredients you'd want to be a successful uh, successful tech business um no doubt though with all these things as utopian as we we paint the picture there's always stuff that happens that you weren't anticipating and yeah? the challenges that happen on a on a daily basis so what would you and how would you classify and categorize i guess some of the, the biggest challenges you face as a tech leader in your role here and um and how have you overcome those yeah, good question. You you must be prepared that uh, things will go wrong, and uh, they always go wrong at the wrong uh, the worst times. So that, that's, <laughs> Absolutely, the big, the, that's the biggest realization, to be honest. Because if you if you appreciate this is part of life, uh, you you don't panic or you panic less or you you actually don't you try to you try to be uh, as conscious as possible when. Uh, uh, when something happened, not to not to react and, and uh, act, act instinctively. So that is that is how I overcome. Uh, and, and also to answer your question, I think that's the biggest challenge uh, the company work for now has is uh, because of the scale that we reach and because the, um, the realization was we we actually took a path to build uh, all the products that will help a maritime company because. The integration with the existing product would have, would have taken equally long and possibly be full of a, a commercial agreement and long partnership or even politics. So we didn't want to go down that route and we took maybe the more difficult route on build everything. Uh, you, you, we realize, you realize that to get a sale, you will need to build more. So you have 15 services to get a sale, you know you need 20. So you build a 20 and then the second prospect candidate, uh, prospect um, partner or client will tell you, yeah, but we, we really miss that that part of your software. You don't have that module. Okay, and then you, you have the six months, you plan the six months, you build other four models, and then again. And we, we're still not out. So now we have, uh, you mentioned before, we have seven divisions and more or less 50, I'd say 50 products. We, we don't count them, but we, more or less, uh, that, that's my feeling. And we haven't stopped doing that so we keep on we keep on expanding the challenge with uh, with that is that there you have um, you have 
more and more problems coming to 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 leadership team. I talk for uh, so we have uh, eight people in leadership. So the, usually the problem uh, we we have subdivision uh, a small uh, division of uh, tasks, but in general, big problem come to the whole leadership team. So you you must be uh, you must uh, the biggest challenges is these problems that you never never had to deal with arrive. They can be people problem. They can be uh, funding problem. They can be any sort of problem. They arrive. You have to deal with it, but. Uh, you, you must not lose confidence that's what you did before. Like the people that you hired, they are there for a reason. They went through a process for a reason. They, they, you, you build trust with them and you must rely on them in the moment of difficulties, which is also true the opposite. So if you have the moment of difficulty and you feel like you, you have to do everything on your, on your own, then you might reconsider some of the trust that you have in, in a certain key Part of the organization, and and then you know uh, it's it's uh, it's very uh, something to something to embrace in a company that grow so fast is that you are not uh, uh, today you are in one division, but the visas change so rapidly. You shouldn't really feel upset if tomorrow you're in another division, and that's difficult. And uh, um, I, I I can appreciate why because. If you have a nice team, you, and maybe you have a nice team for the first time in many years, you, you really want to work with your team. Yeah. Unfortunately, that is that was a sign up. That you 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 knew this when you sign up that we have all these divisions. It's not a smooth software, and we are not into a business as usual when you can just manage and fix bugs. So you know that we have a, uh, we we might we might have a need to change team of people. So. Those those uh, those sometimes are difficult difficult problems to deal with because you you have multiple stakeholders that wouldn't would like opposite uh, uh, opposite outcome, but uh, yeah we have uh, we have meetings we democratically choose what what should happen, and in general after after uh, after meeting everyone agrees that that was the decision and everyone backs uh, backs off his own opinion and just uh, just 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 a just take take on the decision of the company. Mm. Uh, it sounds like you've got a really nice kind of balanced culture. Um, and yeah, a couple of times you've mentioned now something which I totally agree with. And I think it is only really the way you can take a business from a startup to a scale-up. It's the two words, it's delegation and trust. And, you know, I totally agree with you. And I think about for myself, you know, kind of scaling a relatively early stage business. It, I, I believe any any culture or any company that's got a solid culture, there has to be an underlying layer of trust there, you know, that you've got the right people doing the doing the right job. And and like you say, there's only one of you, one of me, you know, you've got you've got to be able to to delegate, you know, as much as sometimes, you know, being a leader, you kind of want to put your hand in and help and, you know, um, show people the way. Often that delegation process in itself is is the learning curve for a lot of people. That's kind of what I've noticed. You know, rather than me telling them what to do, it's like letting people, you know, fail, but in a kind of within a sandboxed kind of environment. Um, but knowing that they'll come to the right conclusion and kind of get to where they want to get to. So, um, but it but it works because you've had a really thorough and sort of considered process about the kind of people you've brought on board and you've got the right talent. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's the that's the key thing there. There's no point sort of uh, delegating and trusting people that you. you 
the wrong people but um it sounds like you've got that bit sort of nailed so uh fantastic well uh, Fabrizio I've really really enjoyed the chat today I think it's been a, a fantastic episode um and a huge amount of value shared so all I can say is thank you very much for coming in and having a chat with us um Really, pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No worries. Really enjoyed it. And um, I like to end every um, podcast with the same question, uh, which I, I would like to ask you now, if I may. And you know, is there one? What is your one favourite piece of advice um, that you've ever received? If there's kind of a uh, kind of a go-to piece of advice that you pass on to your fellow humankind, uh, what, what would that be for you? <laughs> Many, um, many, especially from uh, from individuals. Uh, um, I think it's, it's very important that uh, uh, anybody in, in, in an intellectual uh, profession like uh, the tech industry, you you surround yourself with uh, intelligent people that can can mentor you and you, you ask questions to people that know more than you. Um, maybe I, I I've. I remember very well one thing that I've actually read in a book and that I, I, I tend to apply sometimes when, when uh, especially in a difficult position, is uh, uh, just sometimes you need to do the right decision. You need to take the right decision, um, basically, even even if that is against uh, uh, against other <laughs> common beliefs. And you, you know that is right because you believe your... F- you believe the facts and you know the right. And sometimes you just have to take that decision even if... Even if the consequence, uh, even if you don't like the consequences, the book was saying something very extreme, like uh, do do the right thing and wait to be fired. That is that is that was the quote. Uh, I, it it doesn't you can you can change it a bit. It doesn't need to be so extreme. But the the point was sometimes it might hurt you maybe to uh, let go a colleague that you made a friend friendship with, or maybe might hurt because you really wanted to do a project that is not going to happen or you you hire somebody that you thought was perfect for a team and is not going to happen sometimes uh, it, it is uh, it is needed from you as a leader to to actually do the right decision and and just just wait wait for the worst uh, wait for the worst to happen yeah make that decision in a, as, as informed and as partial a way as you possibly can and come come what may i guess but yeah great advice well thank you again for coming in um really uh, really appreciate it and uh, yeah i'll definitely be keeping my place on 90 percent of everything's uh, future success of which i'm sure will be will be great uh, based off uh, track record to date so uh, yeah thanks for coming in and, and we'll speak soon thank you